Here's a sneak peek from this week's episode. So as I mentioned, while we would have loved to play around a golf at St. Andrews, there's quite a process to do so. And I don't think you and I, Scott, are quite in the caliber yet (laughs) of our golf skills. Getting there, though. Yes, getting there. But the next best thing that I read about was playing on a little course called the Himalayas. It was originally the Ladies Putting Green. It's it's a putt-putt, but it's on actual green. So no windmills or animals, no like side. Well, let me tell you, Melissa originally sold this to me as a par three course. And that has a whole different meaning to me than putt-putt. I'm Scott. And I'm Melissa. And we are the Sunshine Travelers. Our passion is travel and sharing our experiences with those who enjoy it as much as we do, or those who want to learn more about travel, or even those that just want to live vicariously through our travel stories. No matter where you follow along that journey, get ready to hear about our firsthand experiences as we visit some of the most interesting and amazing places on earth. Travel with us this week as we head across the pond to Scotland. We'll tell you where we went, what we did, how we got there, and as usual, we'll sprinkle in plenty of information about what to eat, drink while you're in Scotland. This trip was filled with so many memories, including seeing the late Queen's funeral cortege as we were driving to St. Andrews. We have a lot of ground to cover, so grab your passport, pack your bags, and let's get started on this journey through Scotland. We got to go on this trip to Scotland thanks to a work meeting trip for Scott. We had been to Edinburgh before, and that deserves an episode all its own. And we had done that for a weekend, and so we'll talk about that at another time. But Scott was attending some meetings on a Wednesday through a Friday near the Loch Ness area of Scotland. And so because we had only been to the Edinburgh part of Scotland before, we decided to take a few extra days and see more of Scotland, especially we wanted to go and see the Highlands. So it's very difficult to do just a three or four day trip overseas. So usually if we can swing it and um, we can take a few extra vacation days or something like that, we always try to attack that on. It just makes it easier for, um, it makes it easier for Scott. And then also you just get to see more of the world as well. So because we had already seen parts of Edinburgh, it gave us a chance to do some other things. So I would definitely recommend to this itinerary we're going to talk about tacking on probably two or three days, wouldn't you say, Scott, on a trip to do Edinburgh? Yeah, I'd say do two or three days in Edinburgh and then tack on the Highlands. I think that's what you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So this could be And we're going to talk a little bit about like our travel itinerary, but that would definitely be a great starting and ending point. And it's an easy place to get in and out of as well. So you'll want to, you know, have a few days to to do all the things there are to do there and kind of make that your first home, first or ending home base, I would say. You're not going to have a lot of airports and stuff like that to choose from in Scotland. So you're going to want to go into a larger area first and Edinburgh is a is a great example of one. And then from there, span out and go to places like the Highlands or other places that we talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So that was definitely something that we wanted to, had been wanting to do. So that was definitely on our bucket list. So when we were planning this, I used Rick Steve's Scotland book to kind of help outline the itinerary because in there they give really good suggestions about, you know, if you have this much time and this much time, here's kind of the must-see things to do and, you know, here's the other things that you do. So at a minimum, I already knew that we wanted to see St. Andrews. 
we like to play golf. And so that was just something that was interesting to us. The Highlands, of course, and then the Loch Ness area. So let's talk a little bit about planning our trip. But Scott, tell us real quick, we want to start adding this because we get a lot of questions about like, well, who could do this trip? And who is this trip for? So who would you say who could do this particular road trip, Scotland itinerary? I think this is a road trip that most anyone could do. Um, You know, obviously, it is going to be very rich in sightseeing from the car and, you know, a lot of driving. So if you're doing it with small kids, not impossible. You're just going to need to take, you know, more stops and things like that. But even with senior adults with mobility issues, things like that, I felt like it was pretty easy to get around in that they had accommodated for that in most areas. Yeah, I think so. And I think you could just like base your experiences based on that as well. I want to share a little bit about how I would go about planning a trip like this. We get asked this a lot, like, how do you plan trips and do you use a travel agent and things like that? And so I wanted to share specifically on this one, since it is a road trip, and so we would be moving to different places. So we're going to do an episode as we were planning for this one, we talked about, we're going to do an episode that's more specific about just like planning a trip and, and things like that. But let's get into this one specifically. And then once we release that one, I'll link that in the show notes. So if you're listening to this after that, the link will be there. So first of all, this particular trip, so we had the dates, like the dates were set. He had the meeting. And so we were going before that. So the dates were Set. And so I'll research the places that I know I want to visit. So you'll usually be familiar with some of the things that you want to see. Either that's why you're going there or that's why you would spend extra t- time there. And so again, we had been to Edinburgh. And so we knew we wanted to see the Scottish Highlands and then also St. Andrews. And so travel books and blogs and podcasts using Pinterest can be great resources to get people's opinions about where to go and what to see and do. I will often use a Rick Steves book or a guide. Lots of people like to use Lonely Planet guides for must and then maybe see recommendations and then some itinerary ideas. So for a three or four day road trip, it would just give me the must see things. And so to kind of keep that organized, I'll mark those places in Google Maps. So in my Google Maps, I'll have specific like little folders you can have. And so I have one that says Scotland and then I'll mark those places in there. And that just helps me kind of see where things are. And so then once I have a rough sketch of the locations and about the amount of time that we plan to visit, I'll then I'll start looking for accommodations that are recommended in those resources. You know, if it's something we like the Marriott brand, if there's something and that's, you know, mainly in cities we might be able to find something there, but then I'll look in places such as booking.com. I like to use that one a lot just to keep everything organized. So also for Scotland, I tried to do what we had previously done on our trip to Ireland. And we do have a episode about that. So if you're interested in Ireland as well, you can go listen to that and contact places directly because there's a lot of bed and breakfast And you, so you contact them by phone or email, but I wasn't really hearing things back and it sort of became time consuming and we were getting close to this trip. So this is not one that we planned way far in advance. So for this particular trip, I actually ended up booking everything through booking.com because we were moving around a lot. And so that way I knew, okay, I've got this day covered and this night covered. And I also like the cancellation policy they have most properties. It's right up close to the time and then you pay at the hotel. And so then I also put, before I book those, I actually put those into the Google Maps as well, save those locations so I can see, okay, is this going to be doable? Am I going to have to go way out of the way to stay at this place? And so with a limited amount of time, we don't 
want to do that either. One of the things I'd say about the what Melissa's talking about with the Google Maps is she's even gone back years later and we were trying to figure out, oh, where did we stay or what did we do? And then she just pulled up Google Maps, looked at her pins, and then she could, you know, say, oh, we went to this restaurant or that restaurant. And so when people are asking for recommendations, you can do that easily by going back through there. And so it's just a neat way to organize all of this. Yeah, that's a great point as well. So then I'll look more into, usually once I get transportation and accommodations book, I'll look more into what exactly want to do using those same resources, blogs and TripAdvisor and Pinterest and things like that and decide the things that we would be most interested in. So for this trip, after doing all those things, I decided that we wanted to see, also see Sterling Castle, which is in Sterling at, outside of Glasgow in and then St. Andrews, because we wanted to see St. Andrews and the old course and the things you see when they have tournaments there in St. Andrews and the university. But it's not really feasible that we could go play golf there. But they did have a course called the Himalayas that was originally a ladies putting green. And we'll talk a little bit more of that in a minute. So I was like, okay, let's see if we can, how do we book that? For example, um, we looked into doing a Scottish music and tasting experience of scotch whiskey when we were in Inverness, a scotch tasting in Oban, and then of course seeing Loch Ness and trying to decide what exactly we would do there. So basically I had a rough outline of what we would do and then leaving some room for things along the way, but having a general idea of things that we wanted to see and then which things we would need to buy tickets and tours ahead of time. And the other thing I also like to do and you've heard us talk about this. Scott and I are not good about, you know, making dining reservations or having specific plans. But I will say for your hangry travelers, which we are, it is a good idea if you run across recommendations. I also mark those in Google Maps. So then when we're hungry and we're frustrated, we can, okay, where are we located? Like open up Google Maps and it'll show your location. And then it'll show, okay, here's the things that you've pinned close by. So you're just not like going, I mean, yes, you can just go into random places and sometimes it turns out okay, but sometimes it's nice to just have a place that has been recommended as well. So let's talk then specifically about this trip. So how we got there. So Loch Ness, the way where we were going close to Loch Ness, it was actually Loch Lomond is where we were headed, which is close to Loch Ness. It's closer to Glasgow. And we didn't, we had seen Edinburgh. So like if you had not been to Edinburgh, that would probably be where you would want to go in and out of. So we had done that. So I looked at several options getting us to Glasgow. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up flying into Dublin from the US. That was our round trip ticket. And then we took another airline to Glasgow and um, it, it just worked out the best. So that was a little bit, that was a little bit tricky because we, if we had left on a certain day and I was trying to look at like nonstop flights all the way to Glasgow and it just didn't show anything. And we didn't want to leave on Saturday because then we would get there on Sunday and it would kind of eliminate a whole day. So getting creative in this case on flights. And not just looking at, you know, my starting destination and then looking in my searches at my end destination. And the way that I did that was I just Googled, okay, how, you know, what were some suggestions that people had? How could I get some alternatives? How can I get to Glasgow from these other airports and, and things like that, which I, you, you found, I guess, interesting. You were like, oh, I never would have thought of doing that. 
I wouldn't have gone through Dublin to get there, but you know, once we landed in Dublin, it was just another hour and a half flight or so uh, from Dublin into Glasgow. So um, ended up working well, and like Melissa said, we were able to get there almost a full day faster than if we had tried to wait and take a nonstop flight. Right, because basically with that. Well, it wasn't really a nonstop flight, but it was like booking or, on the same yeah. airline, right? That airline wanted to actually, you know, book another flight, but it looked like to them that it was going to be an overnight. And so it's like, okay, yeah. no flights are available. And so just, that's just a tip. You know, if you, if you're looking and you say, okay, there's no flights available, what's going on? So what are some creative ways that you can, and sometimes that can actually turn out cheaper for you. What are some creative ways you can get to a close destination? that say a European destination or something like that. And then I can just do a smaller hop. Now I will say with that, you do have to take into account that the second to get on the second airline, if you didn't like carry on your baggage, you're going to have to retrieve that from baggage claim, et cetera. So just thinking about, you know, some packing and then also, you know, if it is a smaller airline, will that fit and are there baggage fees? So just taking some of those things into consideration. But for us, not having to wait another whole day when we really only had four days was was just a better option. So you're definitely going to need to rent a car in Scotland. So Scott, give us some tips about, you know, renting cars in Scotland, Ireland, UK. Yeah. So be prepared to drive on the opposite side of the car. So in the US, we the driver sits on the left side of the car drives on the right side of the road. But in a lot of locations, Scotland, Ireland being two of them, there you need to be prepared to sit on the right side of the car and drive on the left side of the road. And, you know, maybe that alone and by itself is not extremely difficult, but then the standard car that they rent to you is a manual transmission. So in this case, you're also shifting with your left hand while sitting on the right-hand side of the car and driving on the left side of the road. So there's a lot of things going on that aren't normal for you, and that's just something to keep in mind. One of the things I would recommend as a U.S. traveler, and if you're not very comfortable in driving manual transmission, is to ask for an automatic. And they do. I think that's becoming more and more common that they have automatics available. But just remember the probably the default car that they offer to you is going to be a manual transmission. And we did a, we did a pretty good job. I think there was a few times where we might have forgotten and ended up on the on the wrong side of the road for a few seconds, and then you know you see another car coming and you quickly readjust. The other thing I would say is that when we rented this car in Glasgow, that they had a lot of Teslas on the lot um, that you could rent. And I'm just not certain, and I'm a Tesla owner, so this isn't a, just a paranoid fear of driving an electric vehicle. We never saw a charging station for, for these Teslas along our trip. So I'm not sure that I'd want to make this particular trip in a Tesla. And, you know, I know all of that's changing as more infrastructure is being put out there and stuff like that, but it's something to consider before you jump in that car and just take off. So I would bring that to your attention as well. Yeah, maybe if you were just going to meetings or maybe staying in a city or something like that, I mean, you could ask the rental car people, but it was just something where like, oh, I don't think we really want to worry about this. The other thing I would mention is just making sure that when you rent a car that you have the adequate coverage for the insurance. So making sure that if you 
that your credit card like would cover, you know, any incidents that would happen above and beyond, you know, just what's covered by your insurance and then just making sure that whoever's going to drive is covered by that. And it might be worth talking to your insurance agent as well, just making, seeing what's covered and stuff like that and, or checking out the credit cards that cover that just to be on the safe side. So this road trip that we did, it was definitely a whirlwind tour. So I would definitely recommend more time than what we did, but it was better for us to see what we could see than not do it at all. So we had to be in the Loch Lomond area by Wednesday afternoon, and we arrived on a Saturday afternoon because we did have to go to Dublin and then take another flight to Glasgow. So we got actually got in on Saturday afternoon. So we really only had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and part of Wednesday and four nights to work with on our road trip. So I think I would take this itinerary and probably stretch it definitely to a week. And then if you had more time, there's you know lots more things that you could see, two weeks, three weeks, and if you want to add Edinburgh as well. So we started in Glasgow. It was there was really two areas of Glasgow that were of interest that I had read about, and that was the downtown area and then the Hillhead area. Glasgow is known for its vibrant cultural scene. It has world-class museums, it has art galleries, music festivals, certain times of the year. It's a hub for creativity and artistic expression. Um, we did see a lot of colorful murals in the city and including the city center mural trail. So what I thought we would do, we, we basically had one night on each end of our stay in Glasgow. So I thought we would stay one night in each part of the city. And, but, but now just because our time limitations, I probably would have skipped that altogether. And so we'll talk about that a little more in a minute. It's not that there aren't tons of things to see, but we just needed a lot more time to see those. And so just the parking and stuff like that. Well, we did have great memories of you know, looking for a place to park when we arrived, being very tired, you know, so we can remember that. Yeah, that's true. So our trip took us from Jacksonville to New York to Dublin. I think this was probably the first trip where we had to, we've talked about this before, we moved to close to Jacksonville from Atlanta. And so we're used to doing lots of just non-stops. And so I think this one probably was the more stops than we had ever done. So Jacksonville to New York to Dublin and then to Glasgow. And of course, from Dublin, we had to like, you know, get our bags and do all that stuff. So we definitely did our jet lab procedure. So if you haven't heard that episode, that saves you on a trip like this. So be sure to go back and, and listen to the episode and I'll link that. So we did our jet lag procedure. It was kind of later in the afternoon. We, de- we did take a nap. But yeah, at this particular place, it was, it was in that hillhead area and it was like in a, it was a bed and breakfast. And so it was like in a place where mostly it seemed like townhomes, right? Where people lived and there weren't a lot of parking either. And we had gotten the rental car. And so trying to figure out where is this place? And then where can you park? Even though there were instructions, it just wasn't, it wasn't very clear. And we wanted to, you know, drop off our bags and stuff like that. And so we finally found it and the guy told us, oh, you have to park so-and-so and and I have to give you some kind of code or some kind of something, or maybe he gave us the coins for the, the meter. Do you remember? No, it was a card that we had to put in the windshield. Oh, okay. A card that we had to put in the windshield, right? Because I guess there were meters there, but it was probably half a mile at least away. And so it was just kind of like, oh, okay. So by the time we got there and did that, it's, you know, mid-afternoon and and did that. So where we stayed, it's called Argyle Western Hotel. It was like a bed and breakfast small hotel kind of area. It was fine. It wasn't anything, it wasn't anything great, but it was a nice little place. Like you could walk over to the shops and the restaurants and stuff like that. 
as well. And so we did that, rested for a little while, made sure that we set an alarm. So that's one thing that we talk about in that episode is make sure you set an alarm and you have to make yourself get up or you're just going to be wrecked. So we ended up having dinner at a place called Innocent Gin, I think it is. And it's a place that's attached to the the brand of beer and stuff like that. So kind of like a brew pub type of a place. We did try to go into an Indian place. And of course, they're like, oh, you have, do you have a reservation? And we're like, no, of course we don't have a reservation because um, we're just not planners like that. We had no idea, you know, what time or where we would end up and and stuff like that. So, but what we did see on the way there was this, one of those places where there's like a lawn out the door and down the street and we're like, okay, we got to figure out what this, what this is. So we, after we had dinner, we, we went back to, to this place and ended up being a churro place called Loops and Scoops. So envision like a cup of ice cream with like a churro looped over it. And then they put the little key that they put in for gelato with that. So, so good. Actually, actually, even after you ordered, it took a while, but it was a very popular place. So sometimes it's fun if you have the time, you know, just to get in, you know, get in line at some of those popular places and, and see some of those things. So that was really, unfortunately, our experience with that Hillhead area in Glasgow. I know that they had lots of great restaurants. There was lots of recommendations for like, you know, make reservations here and there. So just didn't work out. But we did walk down the streets a little bit, had lots of pubs, like the string lights and the alleys. And so it was a cute, it was a cute little area. We just didn't have time to do a lot of stuff. Anything else you remember that stand out about? No. And I think that's part of the reason why we say, you know, we might have chosen to do things differently just because we weren't truly there long enough, you know, by the time we went through and had an app and stuff like that to really get out and see a whole lot. So it was a lot of effort to spend just a very little time in that space. Right. And, and also making the effort to go from the airport into a city center and a place that where the hotels are probably going to cost a little bit more. Right. So where in hindsight, we, our first stop then on Sunday was to go see Sterling Castle. And so what we probably should have done is gone directly to Sterling, gotten a little bed and breakfast there, probably easy parking, probably less expensive. So just a thought, if you're not going to have a lot of time or you really are going to deal, you know, have that jet lag and, and stuff like that and just getting in and trying to navigate a, a town it's or a city is more difficult than trying to navigate a town. So just some tips there about that. So our so our goal then on Sunday, we needed to make it from Glasgow to St. Andrews. We had planned for Sterling Castle. I'd actually pre-purchased tickets for that as well. Just looking online, it was still at a time where you really had to pre-purchase tickets. So I'd book tickets for 10 a.m. Um, and that's something you might want to think about is if you know there's certain attractions that you, you know, you definitely want to see, if you can pre-purchase those tickets, you might want to do that because sometimes you might get there and, you know, they'd be sold out of tickets. That has happened to us before. Yeah. And that would have been disappointing for this because we didn't really have anything else planned. That was kind of like our big thing to do and see the castle and see the gardens for that day. And it was a Sunday. So definitely pre-booking that. So we spent that morning wandering the castle, the gardens. They had a large cemetery there. And then we ended up having just a traditional Sunday pub lunch, Sunday roast at the a little hotel that was there that had a pub called Portullis. And I tried haggis for the first time. So what's haggis? 
So haggis, and I didn't know this. Let me preface by saying this. I didn't know what it was. So it's just like, oh, what is haggis? And the girl just said, oh, it's just a traditional Scottish thing. So then later on, I found this out. So it's a traditional Scottish dish made from sheep's internal organs and entrails mixed with suet, oats, and spices. And it's encased in a sheep's stomach, and then it's cooked. And I think I had it along with the with the roast and it had potatoes and different things like that. So it was kind of like a topping for what they had prepared that day. So it tasted good. I enjoyed it. So anyway, there you go. So then next we headed east toward St. Andrews after lunch. And so it had been really nice, a, a leisurely morning getting to do that. So we headed east toward St. Andrews. And so here's our big story, really our big highlight for, or one of our big highlights for this trip. Um, the queen had actually passed away the week before this trip. And uh, also when we were planning this trip, so Balmoral is on my bucket list to go see. Balmoral is the castle in residence, one of the queen's favorite places to spend her summers in Scotland. So I had actually looked up to see, okay, when is Balmoral open? You know, because Balmoral is open some and the the castle in Edinburgh is open some, and of course, sometimes in July, Buckingham Palace is open, but of course, it was not going to be open during this time, and then of course, turned out that the Queen ended up passing away there at Balmoral, laying in state for quite a few days, and then they were going to move her with the cortege and everything to Edinburgh, and it actually happened to be on this day. So, of course, we're riding in the car, and it's not, you know, satellite radio or whatever we're used to listen to at home, and so we're just listening to BBC Scotland. Yeah, and so the whole time, BBC, they were telling stories about the Queen's life and interviewing people that she had interacted with, but then they were also giving, you know, minute-by-minute updates as her cortege moved from Balmoral down to Edinburgh, and so we were, we knew at some point in that day, our paths would cross. And so the closer that we got towards St. Andrews, that's where we started hearing that we would soon cross paths with that, that cortege. Now we were heading in the opposite direction. So we were on the other side of the road. And, you know, the neat part was we kept seeing all these like, motorcycle police and then police cars just one you know individual cars going down the road and it looked like maybe they were kind of sweeping to make sure that there was no cars parked on the road and stuff like that but then uh, we started seeing bridges just full of people so there's lots of people with signs and flags and stuff like that that had come out to express their sympathy and condolences to the queen and then so as we started seeing all these people and then even on the sides of the road, like the farms would just be full of people on horseback just standing, you know, there waiting on the side of the road. And we're like, we've got to be getting very close now because all these people are here. And we're starting to see more of these police cars. And then we saw in the distance helicopter over the road with a bunch of cars and we said, oh, this must be it. So we pulled over on the side of the M90 and we got out, we grabbed our phones and we were able to, you know, video the cortege as it went by on the opposite side of the road. And I had done a Facebook live of it. And it was just a few minutes later that a friend of mine who lives outside of London called and said, what the heck, how, how are you guys over from the States 
and you're seeing this so close up, like we're sitting here trying to figure out how are we going to go to where she is to try to pay our respects. And then you guys end up right there on the street and, and see it firsthand. And so it was definitely a, a very neat experience. I've got that video saved. I've shown all kinds of people that video and, uh, you know, it's one of those experiences that you'll tell for, for all of time. Yeah. I still get, I just get chills. Like just hearing you describe that. I mean, just it's surreal even to think about. And that's one of those things like, yeah, you have all these bucket list things that you want to do, but that's not something that you can, that's not something you can plan for or say, okay, I want to do this. Cause like, you just don't know that that's gonna, you know, even happen. So that was, that was just a very, um, just an awesome experience that we, But then, you know, as they pass by, we jump back in our car and now we're off to St. Andrews. Another surreal experience. Yeah. And before we get to that, I just want to reiterate, we've talked about this before, but just how special and meaningful travel memories and stories are. Like that's again, that's not something that you can, that's not something you can buy. That's not something you can you know, just these travel experiences. So as I mentioned, while we would have loved to play around a golf at St. Andrews, there's quite a process to do so. And I don't think you and I, Scott, are quite in the caliber yet (laughs) of our golf skills. Getting there, though. Yes, getting there. But the next best thing that I read about was playing on a little course called the Himalayas. It was originally the Ladies Putting Green. It's it's a putt putt, but it's on actual green. So no windmills or animals, no like side. Well, let me tell you, Melissa originally sold this to me as a par three course. And that has a whole different meaning to me than putt putt. Yeah, it's it's a putting green. Yeah. So I, I'd say, okay, because I don't I mean, do you know of anything else like this? Really? Well, I mean, maybe that place down in Disney where you or putting on something that doesn't have any borders on it and you know yeah, it looks more true. like it. And that's kind of what this is. But this is on the actual I mean this yeah. is on the actual grass right there by the course. And so that's what's neat about it is it's right there on the like if you were teeing off and playing on the first tee of the old course, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. And it was only it's like cost four pounds to play. Now I will say you had to go online and get reservations. And at that time it was like I don't know, 48 hours advance or something like that. You had to like jump on at a certain time and get reservations and and stuff like that. I think they've opened that up a little bit more. I'll put a link though, if you're interested, if you go there, it's just a fun activity to do. I think it's a little bit more flexible now. So one of the latest time slots that I could for that afternoon, since we were going to Strand Castle. And so I booked the last one. So that was just a neat experience. And it was also cool because the people, since it was the end of the day, like a lot of golfers were walking off the course and, you know, as we were just putting around, they were just cheering us on and like, wait, you know, way to go and good, good putt and stuff like that, which I was just shocked at. Cause right here, these people playing the old course at St. Andrews or whichever other courses are, we're playing right there yeah. and here they're cheering on our little. Well, you assume that they're good because they're playing that course, but, um, uh, I've played a lot of courses that I'm not good enough to play, but I played them. You just lose a lot more balls that way. Yeah, that's true. But that was just, that was neat. And that was a lot of fun. And again, a very cool memory. So the course was closing. We had a chance to walk across the famous Wilkin Bridge or the Golfer's Bridge there and take pictures, have our pictures taken. And then, of course, take pictures for people who were like, oh, we take our pictures. Like it was their, obviously their like dream and their bucket list to go and play at St. Andrews and walk across that bridge. And Scott, I actually read recently that very close to us in St. Augustine at the World Golf 
Hall of Fame. There's actually a life-size replica of it with the backdrop and everything. So if you would have known, would all have known. we had to do is go down to St. Augustine and have our picture made. That's true. So, so today the putting green is open to all golfers. It's just a very picturesque setting for you to just hone your putting skills. And so that was fun to, to do that. Um, so then we decided we wanted to go to the pro shop, of course, and, and look for some St. Andrew's memorabilia. And so this is funny too, because it was literally the only time that we were in Scotland that it rained. Yeah. Welcome sunshine travelers. And so of course we didn't, we didn't think it was even going to rain. Like I don't even think it looked like it was going to rain. We didn't, we had brought rain jackets. I think we had brought umbrellas on the trip. So of course we had to buy and it rained pretty, it played rained pretty, pretty well. I mean, pretty hard for there for a little while. So we actually had to get a St. Andrew's golf umbrella, which is not a bad little thing to have. Nope. And I think it found its way into your golf bag as a matter of fact. Yeah. So even if you're not interested in golf, St. Andrews is also the home to the University of St. Andrews, all the historic buildings, and it's one of the oldest and most prestigious universities in the UK. It's where both Prince William and Kate graduated, as well as the famous novelist, playwright, playwright, Sir Walter Scott, and lots of other people. So you have the opportunity to see St. Salvador's Chapel, St. Mary's College. You can also see the ruins of the St. Andrews Cathedral and the St. Andrews Castle there as well. So we just saw everything from the outside, just kind of doing like a makeshift walking tour of town as well. So we also found a pub to just kind of do a scotch tasting. We just asked the bartender to let us try a few things that we hadn't tried before. Um, We had done a scotch experience in Edinburgh before and learned all about the regions and some of the different most popular brands. So we just sat down and we shared a few drams and had the bartender make recommendations about what he had. So that was just kind of a neat thing to do is just hang out in the local pub as well. Yeah, we asked him for his recommendation. I think our original bartender, she didn't know a whole lot about scotch. And so she went and actually got someone else to to service. And he had much more knowledge on this area. And so he made some recommendations based on his preferences. And so we tried, you know, based on that. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's just fun just to hang out in a local bar, a ho- local pub, just to like, you know, be a part of the the local nightlife and culture and stuff like that as well. So we also found an Indian food. I know I mentioned the other place, and I know it may seem strange that uh, Indian food in the UK is something that we actually like to do. Obviously, that influence, there's lots of people who live there. So you'll find lots of just excellent, excellent Indian food like throughout the UK. So we found a place that night, thankfully still open as lots of times places close, had great Indian food that night. So we stayed in the area of the university at the Albany Hotel. The room there was tiny. We also had to go up like three flights of stairs. So another reason to just make sure that you don't like take a bunch of stuff. We actually didn't carry like all our bags up, just what we needed because the room was tiny. But it was had a nice little view that overlooked the beautiful rooftops there. So it was also interesting to see all the students from the university going to and from. It's just crazy for me to think about, you know, people being a student at the University of St. Andrews. So that was just kind of neat too. And so in the morning, we just decided to have kind of a slow morning. We walked around to see the college, the marina, the harbor, the graveyards, and some of the ruins of that cathedral and stuff like that. We also walked down to the famous beach at West Sands where the Chariots of Fire was filmed before heading off to the Highlands. I think you got a video of me doing a reenactment there, didn't you, Scott? Yes. Along with my music skills to go go with it. Yeah, so just for the fun, we'll have to post that and, and link that. So 
So there, from there, we were headed into the Highlands. So unfortunately, if you want to visit the Scotch distilleries, then you're definitely going to need to plan your trip to this area around the days that they are open, which is typically Thursday through Sunday. And so now this was a Monday. So we didn't have any luck, you know, finding any of the distilleries in this area. But, well, I think there were a few that were. Yeah, we did go and find some of them. But as you said, they were closed. And that's okay. I mean, just being there and, you know, a lot of them had, you know, cute little signs and stuff like that or billboards on the side of a building. And we got some pictures in that way. Yeah. And just to get an idea of, so we have done, we've done like the Kentucky bourbon trail and we've just done lots of distilleries and wineries and just different things like that. So just to have an idea in your mind, even, you know, where the scotch and stuff comes from as well was just fun for us. But if you're there specifically for those tastings, just make sure, well, two things, make sure that you're there Thursday through Sunday, but I would definitely plan on booking ahead too. And just see if there's particular ones that you want to do a tasting, because I think just because they're limited availability and space, like it would be more difficult to just pop in and say, let's do a tasting as well. Yeah. So. But when you talk about Glenfiddich or Avalor or Glenlivet, we at least know and visually have those in our mind now of what they were like. Yeah. And Avalor is actually in the little town called Avalor. We did get to go in the gift shop in Glenfinnich. That was open. And then Glenlivet just to see. And that was a huge facility surrounded by farms, like way kind of felt like in the middle of nowhere. So that was, it was fun to, to do that. But what we did book was Highland Mall Whiskey Experience in Inverness. So I did book that. So we did have to get to Inverness by a certain time and make sure that we had grabbed something to eat before that. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes because that was a really great experience. It was done. They have a couple of people that do it, but our particular one was done by Bruce McGregor, which is the owner of the McGregor's Bar where they have it down in the basement. Very small, maybe a dozen people, I think. So he was, you know, played the instruments and did the music and of course told all these stories and then the tastings were kind of wound in there and we got to taste a lot of things that we were definitely unfamiliar with as well. So that was just really funny too, because, you know, he said, I'm not going to try to tell you what you should taste in here. He was like, because I don't understand how they come up with some of the stuff. He's like, you know, literally they'll tell you, Oh, this tastes like the dirt after an earthworm crawled over it. And he's like, where the hell do they get all this stuff from? Right. You're tasting a campfire and different things like like, that. Who's ever tasted a campfire? Right. So Highly recommend that if you're in Inverness and Inverness is just a great jumping off place for the Highlands as well, a beautiful town. So I think they held that five nights a week, but I'll put the link if you're interested in that. We were able to walk to that from our bed and breakfast. So speaking of our bread and breakfast, we stayed at the Castle View Guest House. We didn't get a chance to visit the castle here in Inverness, but we had a great view from our room. Again, we had to park kind of far away. So in St. Andrews, we actually were able to park right across the street. So that was close. But here we had to park like down the road in some public lot or on the street or something like that and carry our bags to this Castleview guest house. So. Well, I remember we we pulled off right in front of it. We unloaded our bags. I think the lady even came out and took our bags. And then we went and parked and then came back. Yeah, I think that's true. But so we did have to carry our bags to the car afterwards because you know it's like a 10 15 minute loop to get back around there you know if, if you wanted to try to make that that journey 
I'll say that this is probably one of the, we didn't have a lot of great experiences in our lodging on this trip, but this was probably one of the nicer places that we stayed at. Uh, for a little while, I was afraid that the the host, the guest, you know, the, the lady running the bed and breakfast, that she was actually going to come up and stay with us for a little while. But then she just turned out to be really nice, very friendly, and offered up a lot of great information. Let us use her parking pass to stay in the town for a little while, even after we left. And then, you know, just said, hey, come bring this by when you're finished and, and drop it off. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that was very helpful because we actually needed to find somewhere very quickly to eat before we had to walk down to that the whiskey experience as well. And she actually recommended the hotel next door to grab some. Oh, no, she fish didn't just chips. recommend. She got on the phone and started calling around. Oh, that's right. She called. To, sure oh, that's right. That they were serving meals, right? Because, you know, this has been our experience is the, the pub will be open, but their kitchen may be closed. And so she, she actually picked up the phone and started calling around. And finally said, hey, I can get you in at this restaurant over here. It's not my first choice, but you can get in. You'll have time to get something to eat. And then you can make your reservation. Yeah, and that was great. That worked out fine. And so the other thing we wanted to point out here and talking about it's a hotel with a restaurant. Very different, I think, than you would typically find. You know, in the U.S., a lot of these just have like these little small, I think especially in the U.K. and in Scotland, Ireland. A lot of them have restaurants attached to them that, you know, full kitchen, full bar, that kind of thing. And just, you know, a small restaurant family run or local run, something like that. And I think we had fish and chips or something like that. So it's not what you typically think of. Okay. There's a, you know, restaurant in a hotel. A lot of times in the U S those might be chains or stuff like that, unless it's just a really high end, you know, hotel as well. And you have to have reservations and all that. So nothing like that. And they're easy to find. Matter of fact, that was the other thing I mentioned in Sterling is that we just popped into a local hotel that had a little restaurant and we ate there. Um, so after that, so, so basically we had the breakfast with her the next day and she was very hands-on for the breakfast and, uh, doing the froth and the milk for the coffee. And so that was, I think that was our, probably our best, even though all three places had been bed and breakfast, that was probably like our best breakfast experience. Right. Wouldn't you say like she had porridge and just like anything that you could, you know, you order eggs and she was fixing them. And that was probably the most authentic bed and breakfast of the things that we were used to from before. So other things to do. We walked around uh, a good bit there. There was a park that went out in along a stream. I remember, I don't remember the name. Yeah, it's actually called the river Ness. So it actually ends up feeding into the, you know, what you're familiar with for the Loch Ness. So, yeah. So we went for a nice long walk that morning you know, just enjoyed, it was a beautiful day, beautiful weather, and we just enjoyed being out and walking around. And then we also stumbled across a church there and and share what you got to do inside that church. Yeah. So a lot of people were putting flowers out for the Queen's um, passing. And so we just decided to walk in and really more probably just like see the inside of the church because it was open, but then they actually had the condolence book there. And so just, you know, like you would, we're familiar with you walk into a funeral and leave your, you know, sign the book and stuff like that. So I got to do that inside of that church there in Inverness. So that was just a neat experience. 
you know, do you ever just think back that by going in there at that point in time and you signing that book, you're now part of that history? Like you're officially documented as part of that history. Like I'm sure they collect all these books and they're going to send them to some archives, you know, where this will be collected for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years into the future. And, you know, there on one of those lines in one of those books, you know, there's your signature and your note. Yeah. And in Edinburgh, so we we're glad actually in hindsight that we had been there and hadn't planned because people were waiting in line hours and overnight to sign the book and walk, you know, walk past the casket and, and things like that as well. So yeah, absolutely. So lots of people like wanting to be a part of that, that history. So you can also explore the Inverness Castle there. From there, you can also embark on a Loch Ness cruise. So if you want to go look for Nessie, there's also some other sites there, ancient sites like the Culloden Battlefield. So a lot of folklore and rich history in that area. And if I remember correctly, the Inverness Castle, they've actually turned that into like a municipal building. So there were offices there and stuff like that, kind of like a courthouse. Yeah, I think so. And like I said, we were we had a great view of it just like from our our room. So, um, yeah. and we didn't, we really didn't have like our plan there was to, we did the whiskey experience. We spent the but night. It, we, it wasn't as if the castle was still set up as a castle for you to go and tour. They had turned it into a functional building. Yeah, I think you're right. So it wasn't like what we did in Sterling and what we're going to talk about here. And so the minute, outside yeah. of it was what you wanted to, you would want to see and, and look at not, not necessarily the inside. Yeah, that's true. So, from here, a lot of people like to spend a lot more time in this area. So if you had a couple more days, here's the things that we would have recommended that I had marked that we didn't get to. Clava Carnes, Caldor Castle, Fort William, Ben Nevis, Glencoe, lots of other things to do. And a lot of people go way, that's in that local area, but way up further into the highlands. You can go to the Island Dunning Castle, the Isle of Skye. There's lots of distilleries such as Glenmorangie and the Talisker Distillery done vegan. And then, of course, as far as Orkney and Kirkwall, if you have a lot more time as well. So but we needed to be in Oban by that evening. I had actually I had actually originally booked the Oban Distillery Tour for noon that day. But we decided a few days before that that was just going to be too rushed. We wanted to have some time just to wander around in Inverness and just kind of spend the day to leisurely go over. I'm I'm glad that we did that. Sad we missed out on the tour because I've, I think that distillery has gotten to be more popular, but I do think it is more um, of a peaty scotch, which Scott, you're not a fan of. So it wasn't right. Yeah. Wanted to see more of Scotland. So, so on this particular day, we would pass Loch Ness. We did decide to make a stop at Urquhart Castle. So that is the ruins of a castle where they, great little tour that you can get out and see. So for this particular one, we really hadn't planned on it. So sometimes it's nice in your travels to have the flexibility, right? So we hadn't pre-bought tickets, but thankfully when we got there, they did have tickets available. It was a gorgeous sunny day. It's on the banks of the Loch Ness. We were able to get some really cool pictures and just be able to walk around and stuff like that. So and this was one of the places where when we were talking about, you know, who is this trip for? And I said, oh, even if you have mobility issues, you can get around here because we did, you know, notice that they had plenty of pathways that, you know, you could take a wheelchair on or whatever ramps. 
Now, you may not be able to see everything and do absolutely everything, but I felt like they did at least try to make most of the site accessible. Yeah, and that, I mean, very easily could have not have been because, like, it was on the side of a hillside and stuff like that. So I agree with you. Like, it was very, and they had a great theater to, like, present everything and elevators and stuff like that to be able to get it. That was kind of the interesting part is they you have to start inside this theater, and then at the end of the presentation, the screen comes up and the curtains open, and you have this magnificent view of the castle ruins. Yes. Yeah. That was, they did a really good job with this, which I always am impressed with like the historic places, Scotland and the UK. They, I think they just do a phenomenal job of not only preserving these places, but then making them informational and educational for people of all ages as well. So definitely worth a stop if you're going in that area. After that, we got to Fort Augustus by lunchtime and we found a place where we could get lunch and then we sat outside at some picnic tables outside and watched the locks. It was a neat experience to watch them move the boats through the locks from one to another. Yeah, I remember nice warm day and so we sat out there by those locks and really just watching these boats as people would move them from the lower part of the river up to the upper and you know they have to step through a series of, of different locks where the boat, you know, raises a little bit at a time. And what was so funny is there was all these people standing around there because it's kind of a tourist attraction type area. And all of a sudden they want to get involved in helping these people move their boats through the lock system. So they're like taking guide ropes and stuff like that and helping to just navigate the boats through these locks, the series of locks. And so that was quite interesting to to watch that and, you know, experience it and just see people, uh, you know, jumping in and wanting to be a part of something when they didn't know the person in the boat at all. Well, and I originally thought that the other people like worked, right. They had like people who worked there that did it, but come to find out it was the boat owners who were having to like, you know, I mean, they had people that worked there too, but they had to like do their own guide ropes and stuff like that. So yeah, that was very interesting to interesting to watch as well. So, so by late afternoon, we were in Oban, we drove the rest of the way. And besides the distillery tour there, Oban is also known as being the gateway to the Hebrides, the islands, and the ferry terminal there provides connections to popular destinations like Mull and Iona and Staffa. And so making it the hub for the island hopping and just exploring those Scottish islands. So if you're interested in doing that, that's where you would um, embark from. And so They have car ferries as well, and you can spend some time on those islands. But the picturesque bay there just offers beautiful views and is also the focal point for town. So we went down to have dinner there because it's also known for its fresh and delicious seafood, local fish and shellfish to the famous Scottish specialties such as smoked salmon. And so you can just uh, have a variety of restaurants and, and, you know, in the summertime there's seafood shacks and different things like that. So we were able to just wait for a table. We didn't have reservations, but the restaurant may be Quan Moore, C-U-A-N-M-O-R. So we were able to just like put our name in and get a couple of drinks and then wait for a table there. So yeah. I remember we had mussels and some yeah, things did, like that. Um, we did have to wait outside and I remember it had gotten a little bit cool by this point. And so you're sitting outside and had these little, like a little patio bar set up. 
uh, out in front of the restaurant. And so we sat out there for a little while, but then, you know, finally we got a table, got moved inside and it was just the opposite. It was like really hot in there, but the food and the service was absolutely excellent. I will say that in Oban, that was my favorite hotel experience out of all of the places that we stayed in Scotland. Yeah, so that was a neat place. It was a newly opened place called Number 17, The Promenade. I believe they have another property right close by. But a boutique hotel, freshly renovated in an old house. So it was very stylish, fun, colorful as well. And so what do you remember? What stood out to you, I guess, especially, Scott? The black rooms. Yeah. The, the, the room itself that we stayed in, the walls were all black. And I remember walking in there thinking, this is strange, but it really worked. It was nice. And it was a comfortable room, comfortable bed. We just had a really good experience. And the, the next morning we had breakfast there, which was included. Quite a wonderful experience. But, you know, once again... We ran into parking issues there. Yeah. So this was the only place that was funny too, because this was the only place that had a parking lot right there. And we're like, oh, good. We pull in and there's no parking. Like they're full. So I'm not really sure what had happened. They had so many people compared to people staying there. What did we have to do? I think you had to park somewhere across the street and then maybe move it or something like that. So not far. By a certain time in the morning, because that's when the parking meter started. So, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Pop up and go try to move the car. It was something about someone had double parked, uh, but they couldn't locate the person um, in whose car that was. And so you know, they'd taken up the available parking spaces. Yeah, that's funny. I'd actually forgotten about that. But yeah, but going back to the breakfast, the coffee, they actually had the espresso machine and then they would have the thing where they could like put like the, you know, number 17, right, on the coffee, like as the decoration on your steamed milk and stuff like that. So just an absolutely great place to stay. Highly recommend right on the, like a view of the water too. Like our room didn't, but of like in the breakfast area, you had a room view of the water. And so it was just a very well done place. So here's what was interesting about the next day. So when we left, when we were leaving this whole time, we thought that we would be heading to a place on the shores or the banks of Loch Lomond. And actually when we were boarding the plane in Jacksonville, Scott got an email and found out that the location had actually changed to somewhere else because they had, they were adding on to the hotel, renovating the hotel, something, and they didn't get it finished and pass fire inspection in time. And so they were not going to be able to have the event there because we would have had no place to stay. So the new location was actually about an hour and a half further south of like an hour from Glasgow. So about an hour and a half further than where we thought we were going. And so we also wanted to point out, so it's not, so this whole trip, while it sounds like, oh, we moved around a lot, Scotland is not big, let's say even compared to, well, even compared to the state of Florida, right? So like all in all, how much would you say? I mean, we really didn't drive more than two, two and a half hours every day. Yeah. I think the total mileage that we put on the vehicle is around 300, 300 miles or something like that. Yeah. So like in four days. So when we talk about, okay, we did all this stuff and we had to drive from here to there. It's not like we drove a whole ton, you know? So when we said, okay, we could leave, Inverness and stop at this castle and then get to Oban. And it wasn't like we, 
you know, we're driving a whole ton. So adding this wasn't a super big deal. It's like, oh, now we're going to drive all day long. So just wanted to point that out because like if you went from one side of Florida to the other, like on the Panhandle, for example, from Jacksonville, I mean, you're talking about five and a half, six hours just to get across the state of Florida and what, six or seven hours to get from the top of Florida to, you know, Miami as well. So just having that in perspective. So Scotland is very, very doable without having to drive. You know, you can still see a lot without having to drive a lot as well. So we did, we did to make a few stops though. We passed Loch Lomond. We actually kind of pulled in to see where we would have been staying because it was literally right there off the highway as well. So yeah. So Scott, tell us where we ended up instead. So we ended up in Turnberry, Scotland. And, um, you know, if you're familiar with golf courses, the Royal Turnberry is a fantastic, you know, it's not St. Andrews, but it's up there in one of the world's top golf courses. And so the event was held at the Trump Turnberry. That's where we stayed. The meeting was rather, that's where we stayed. And uh, then by the end of the trip, Melissa and I had tacked on, you know, just a little extra time. And so she and I ended up playing a round of golf. We rented some clubs and played a round of golf there at the Turnberry. But, you know, one of the most picturesque, gorgeous hotels, we can post a photo of it of, you know, the hotel faced the west. So you saw that setting sun and it set over the golf course. So you've got this beautiful view looking at the golf course and the sun setting down behind it. And so, you know, from being picturesque, I couldn't just ask for a more fabulous place. The rooms, I guess I lied. So Promenade was my second favorite place, but the rooms there at the the Turnberry were really well done, very, very updated very spacious and you know that that truly was the the best place that that we stayed and probably up there amongst some of the best places that we've ever stayed one of the things i love is every day at sunset right before sunset they have a bagpiper that just walks back and forth in front of the in front of the hotel playing the bagpipes yeah so then you have that So this is definitely a popular place for weddings. We saw quite a few ceremonies and then of course, just people like investigating the venue and stuff like that. And of course for golf as well, having the championship golf courses just right there across the street. So super popular for that. There's a historic lighthouse there that you can go and see. There's a world-class spa as well. If you're into horseback riding, you can ride horses, which is what I did. You can either ride horses right there on the estate or you can ride them on the beach if you're experienced as well. So yeah, that was fantastic. So we should point out that the the Turnberry, the Trump Turnberry is a five-star hotel. Just super and the staff there just absolutely top notch too. Just and to tell you about the area and just loved loved working there. Really seemed to love their job and just helping helping yeah. out the guest and, and stuff I think as it was well. Newly, that hotel was newly renovated as well. And the, you know, they put a lot of money into refurbishing and making this be a very grand uh, hotel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't remember the exact amount, but I think just each of the chandeliers alone in the ballroom where people would have events or where they would get married and stuff like that were like very expensive. Yeah, yeah very, very expensive. So yeah, it's super nice. So there are a couple of other things there. So if you're in this area, it is on the stunning a sheer coast 
in the town of Turnberry. And so there are some other things to do there. So if you're there with people who want to go play golf, there's you can have some other activities as well. So I took the car one day while Scott was in meetings and visited a place called Culzing Castle and Country Park. It was absolutely fantastic. If we'd had some more time, I would have loved to have take, taken Scott back. So an old castle home that had been renovated to be, you know, and used more modernly as well. Then they just had fantastic gardens and woodlands. People who live there close by can get a pass and take their dogs to walk. So our dogs would have absolutely loved it. So that was great. So, and as Scott had mentioned, so that was the other reason we had planned to, we had planned to get up, check out and go back to Glasgow and do a couple of things, you know, maybe do a little tour, hop on a hop off bus or something like that. But as Scott mentioned, we couldn't leave Turnberry with an opportunity to play on the golf course. And so we checked and they were able to get us tee times and rent clubs and stuff like that. And so thankfully I had brought along some tennis shoes that would work and some pants and stuff. So we bundled up. It was a, it's a windy right there on the coast. Yeah. So we bundled up and enjoyed the morning and early afternoon on the, on the coast. And, and so I'm glad that we did that because that's not something that we, um, you know, that's not somewhere we may ever get back to again. Right. So that would, you know, just doing that over, you know, just going to the city, I think for us was what we really enjoyed. So it's a very long course. So, you know, and and you're walking it, I think, uh, Melissa, you looked at your watch and uh, on that course, we'd walked like seven miles or something like that. Yes. Yes. Like seven miles. Now you do have the push, you do have the push carts and stuff, but it is the Scottish link style course. And so, yeah, it was, it was quite a good bit. So we got our exercise in and talked to some people who that's like, they're talked to some ladies who were like, Oh yeah, we do this every, this is our Saturday morning and stuff like that. So, so that was really neat. So, so just having said that, like, so what we would have done instead then, but I had already booked a place to stay right downtown Glasgow and there was one place that I wanted to eat, which we did go in to eat for dinner. But I think in hindsight, like, again, we had to park far away and walk and it was just kind of an ordeal to like get checked in. And I mean, we literally were only there for like, we checked in, we had dinner, we went to bed, we got up early. It was still yeah. dark when we walked back to the car to go to the airport. So in hindsight, this was have been a case where I would have booked an airport hotel if we had like, you know, thought about it and said, okay, let's, you know cancel this and, and plan that um, as well. And it does be, and again, like Scott said, a little bit more hassle, but the place that we, um, the place that we ended up staying was called native Glasgow. It was almost like little apartments and they actually gave us like a one bedroom. So it was like this massive apartment type thing for just a little while. And we ate right next door at a restaurant called the citizen or yeah, the citizen. And it was just, that was really good and fun. So we recommend both of those places. And especially if you have more time. So I will give you a couple because I did research it. So here's a couple of things that you can do in Glasgow for that area. So again, the hop off, hop on, hop on, hop off city sightseeing Glasgow, getting to go into and seeing the Macintosh house, their art museum, the Hungarian gallery and museum, the Glasgow cathedral there the Tenements Brewery Tour, Drygate Brewing, so breweries and stuff there, of course, you know, joining a walking tour, which one of your colleagues, we actually, when we were going into our hotel, one of your colleagues that you had been in the meetings with was actually doing a walking tour of Glasgow. So that's a great way. That can always be a great way. You can look on Viator and book those. A lot of times it's just a local person giving the tour and you can learn a lot about the history and stuff from the outside. So that's just a few things that if you're headed to Glasgow that you might want to put on your list. But again, like I said, we wish that we had just had a little bit more of a chill evening and, and just 
stayed at the airport hotel. And so sometimes that's just the way it goes. All right. So with every destination episode that we do, one of the questions that we ask Melissa is, what should we pack on our trip going to Scotland? So we overpacked for this trip. I think it was a combination of we had just moved to the beach and got rid of a bunch of like warm clothes and it was hot here. And so we were like, we're going to freeze to death. And then also, I think we had a hard time getting back into, I think, the packing routine after, you know, after just like so many people during the pandemic, not traveling a lot in the same kind of way. So we overpacked. So again. uh, And also because, you know, this for me was a combination pleasure and work trip. So I did have work stuff that I was doing during the day and needed to have appropriate clothing for that. I probably, you know, it's stuff that I would not have taken had I not had the work part of the trip. Yeah. Well, I'll speak for me. I overpacked. Like I just took too many different things when I could have just reworn stuff. But anyway, so here jeans are, are, good and fine and you probably want them just remember when you're packing if you overpack jeans like they're just heavy and stuff like that so some pants that can be worn multiple times that are good for travel as well definitely layers I think here we did have some days where it was chillier or or like warmer during the day because fortunately we had sun so some lightweight sweaters we did bring a rain jacket we ended up not needing it a lightweight umbrella But I also found it to be helpful to have like a blazer. I think, Scott, you had like a vest so that you could like layer over, um, you know, like dressier shirts and stuff like that, too. So tennis shoes for walking and then dressier shoes. We did do like not necessarily like heavy duty hiking, but like some some walks and stuff like that. different places so if you can have a pair of shoes that like is good for walking in town and then you can also like you know do some walks like for example when we were in St. Andrews like we walked around the town and then we went down to the beach and that kind of thing as well but it wasn't like a hot you know it was like a hot beach I guess you know where you would like take your shoes off and stuff like that so almost like quasi walking hiking shoes type things that look a little dressier so you don't have to carry so many pairs of shoes but definitely I would just say layers and stuff like that. And of course, if you're going to, if you're there to play golf, you know, golf shoes and clothes and things like that. Great. Anything else that uh, we should talk about with Scotland? Um, So we are going to do a blog post with itinerary ideas as well and list out because I know this was a lot of information. So list out some things to do. And then also like if you have, you know, five days and then how, how you could tack on some different some different itinerary ideas. So just be on the lookout for that. We'll just link that in the show notes as well. So you can find those. Well, what a great trip. Usually driving through back roads and having to pay attention to things like cars driving on the opposite side of the road is an exhausting adventure. In this case, you just couldn't take in enough of the beauty of the land. And there was so much to see on this trip and so many things that we put on the list for another trip in the future. We'd love to hear from you on the places you would add to your Scotland must-see list. Leave us a comment or send us a message. We're always inspired by your stories. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll find some inspiration to help you with your travel journeys. Please consider going on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. The more five-star reviews we have, the more likely we are to be featured and discovered by others. Make sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new episodes as they are released. You can also find us on Instagram, the Sunshine Travelers Podcast. Remember that's travelers with one L. Most importantly, share it with your friends to help them catch the travel bug. You never know, they may become your greatest travel companion.